Today's podcast, Megan 18, Regional Executive for the Arla Property Mark Regulatory Body. What are you looking forward to about meeting Megan? Oh, I'm really excited for this one. It's something that I've mentioned to you and Ian many times um, that I wanted to get someone from Arla on, um, on the podcast. Um, I think legislation is a really big thing. There's been lots of changes over the years and they're still ongoing with potential changes to happen in the near future. So I think it'd be good to sort of go into detail of what's changed in the last 12 months and what to expect in the next 12 months along with some other important stuff. We've got the Renters Reform Bill being discussed in Parliament too. So that's going to be a huge change to our industry if that um, is successful or going through in the way that we feel it might happen. Um, And that would abolish our Section 21 notice, which um, for those sort of non-agents is is our basic notice that we can serve with no reason. Um, Now, there's lots of reasons why people are concerned about that to go. And I think for me, we've already been there back in the 80s when we didn't have uh, assured shorthold tenancies. And what happened was is that people left their properties empty rather than put tenants in because they couldn't get them back. It would be good to see the opinion of the person who takes the opinions of other agents because she works on our behalf to an extent filtering what we think what we like what we don't like and also lobbying the government on behalf of agents landlords and tenants alike so it'd be really interesting to see from the horse's mouth where they are with those situations really looking forward to it let's do it let's bring it on Thanks for joining us on our podcast today Um, for those who don't know you and don't know what you do give us a quick intro uh, so I'm Megan, I'm the Arla Regional Executive for Oxfordshire and Berkshire, so I work alongside Property Mark, um, so I feed in from our area, looking after all of our members in the region and um, sort of feed in from there really, that's me. So for those landlords out there who are unaware of Arla, mm. there's a little in-joke that more people think it's milk than a regulatory body. <laughs> Who are Arla, what do they do, and why are they important to me and you? Well, I don't work for the dairy Arla. That's uh, the first place to start. So (laughs) Arla are um, the main sort of leading body of qualifications for uh, the private rental sector or the property sector in general. So we um, obviously look after members which have to adhere to a certain code of conduct, which is obviously important ethically, um, but also we support through to government. So when government are talking through changes, they will work alongside working groups with in the fellow executives to feed in from our area so it's it's sort of a twofold thing so we work with government but we also work with our members so it's just about making sure everybody's working to the same kind of ethics really I guess okay so moving on Tristan's list of questions yes time to get grilled I've got a number of questions for you and uh, one of them was briefly covered by Mike there so I'll I'll skip that (laughs) one in terms of who you are but um, more importantly from a a landlord point Mm. of view obviously speaking to agents there's a lot of let only landlords that do it themselves but what's important to a landlord when choosing an agent and what questions should they be asking when obviously appointing them and what should they be looking out for it's a really good question and I think it really is very personal to to that landlord I think for me the first thing I need I think they need to work out is what is most important to them so you know if money is a factor then you know there is models that are geared up to you know just an advertisement and likewise if you are not worried about money there are the full Rolls Royce of services so I think when picking an agent you need to make sure that a it works alongside your values and and budget so I think fee I hate to say that fee is important I think if it's important to you it will remain important Um, if in terms of picking an agent for me it's about trust you know when you can sit in front of people you get a gauge for somebody pretty quick 
if you trust them, it doesn't really matter what, what's their logo, where they're from and how long they've been operating. If you trust them and you believe in what they're talking about, that for me is probably the, the fundamentals. And um, I think there are lots of different agents working under different badges that all have different strengths and you just need to work out what you like about them really, I think. Is that fair? Absolutely, yeah, I totally agree. The main word is trust. Yeah. It always was what it always comes down to with me is is you're handing over the keys to your asset. Mm. 300, 400, 500,000 yeah. pounds in some cases and you've got to trust that person that when they make a judgment call on your behalf they're, they're working in your best interest. It's a long-term relationship though and I've found that um, a lot of my business is done off referrals yeah. so by providing that service to them is only going to gain more business in the future and yeah. potentially they grow their portfolio so yeah, um, yeah massively trust him in my opinion as well so I have yeah. to agree with you on that. I think people buy into people and it doesn't matter you know we've all probably got different histories in terms of who we work for but you're, consistently our clients come with us because they trust us as individuals not necessarily what colour our hoodies are or you know our badges are yeah so that brings me on to my next question then mm. so obviously there's been a lot of changes in legislation in my time in, in agency yeah. um, and more so there's been changes during the COVID period obviously with evictions notices and so forth and then the talks of EPC changes and yeah. there's just ever-growing changes in legislation but in the last 12 months given a small overview what's changed to landlords and what do they need to be aware of it's fun, isn't it, keeping up with all the legislation? Um, it, is, it is really fun. Um, I think probably the biggest uh, change that's going to last is the um, mandatory electrical safety testing. So they brought that in. They started bringing it in uh, last year with new tenancies and then existing tenancies had to comply by April this year. I think that was a big change. For me, I can't believe it took that long to get it in, to be honest. More fires were caused by electrics than gas you know problems just look at Grenville that was dodgy electrics that started that all off so I think for me it was about time it, it kind of came in I think as you've pointed out having um, all the changes to the evictions has been probably the biggest boggle of the year is okay what do I do now if I want to sell my property etc the good news is is from the 1st of October things are back to kind of pre-covid for the time being and then we, we look at the next 12 months and then we'll see what happens, yeah. I guess. But yeah, I think electrics for me is probably the biggest change that's is existing that's in. Perfect. And then going on to, obviously, I understand you may not be to share too much information mm. and it's all government-led mainly. And But in regards to the next 12 months, yeah. do we have any potential new legislation that landlords might want to start preparing for? Is there anything you can share on that? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the next 12 months, it's difficult to pinpoint it will definitely be in the next 12 months because as with everything, it changes, you know, the goals change. But I think in terms of moving forward, the next phase of things will be, as you kind of touched on, the EPC regulation. So that's currently um, in Parliament being discussed. Um, we had a working group on that with Arla and we all just said an EPC rating C is way too high and that it will just wipe out, um, you know, a good probably 50% when we looked at it of, of stock. Um, there's also a huge cost implication for landlords, you know, which has then a further knock-on effect about why people, you know, come into the industry. Um, I watched your uh, landlord update about, I think it's five percent um, of, of transactions at the moment through investors, yeah. and that's really interesting because that's very low at the moment. And I do wonder if a lot of that has come in from the cost implications of being a landlord. So my concern is if they raise it to a C, you're just going to wipe out so many, even new builds, you know, in, in parts. So uh, what we have proposed from our side of things is a D rating that sits somewhere in the middle and it's a lot more achievable 
for a landlord um, to get to. I'm glad you covered that regarding the EPC really. Um, I actually, believe it or not, done a, a, a blog a couple of weeks ago um, just with regards to the ratings and I think these are a fair standard to go to. A majority of properties are below that, that level already and based upon the research, they say it's just under £10,000 in order to bring it up to that standard, which is quite a substantial amount to bring it up to that. Uh, in my personal opinion, on top of all the other changes that's come into effect, like the EICR, regardless of circumstances they're required to get that done, which is obviously a cost element on top. Most landlords would have had it already in place just for their own peace of mind and knowing the legislation was coming in, but not everyone was in the financial position to do that. So it is a lot to take on board. Yes, it's better to bring the rating up as well. Um, in my opinion, um, personal opinion, I don't know if you want to add to anything that's not. Yeah, right. I think to put it in context, a, a, a rating C is above the national average yeah. for, a, for any property across all property stock in the UK. So they're asking landlords to bring their property above the average standard, which I've got no problem with providing high standards of accommodation. I actively encourage it. but. If you're also asking a landlord of a Victorian house to bring a, a property up to a grade C, it's going to be very, very difficult to even achieve it, yeah. let alone want to do it, because there's only certain things, houses that were built 120, 130 years ago can be upgraded to. So whilst it's a good thing to aspire to, I don't think in practice it, from my personal opinion as well, no. in practice, I don't think it's something that people will be able to achieve, um, even if they wanted to, even if they had the money to put behind it. I think it's a process as well because then you've got to look at which is something they're also talking about by a certain date that any sale property would have to be to a certain standard and any home occupied by a homeowner would also have to be brought up to a certain standard but how would they enforce that? It would have to be a it'd have to be a well thought out process for that to happen because there's going to be lots of properties being sold and lots of investors buying them and it's going to add to affect the price uh, if there's yeah, going to be lots of costs that have to be spent on that. And I think that's worth now with investors when they're looking at the moment with that potential legislation coming in. It's worth bearing in mind when you are looking to try and aim for something that's probably a D rating, mm -hmm. because I think otherwise you could fall into that trap um, of being stuck with a property that you then have to invest a substantial amount of money into. So I think it's probably a good tip for all the, the landlords looking yeah, out there for that advice, um, yeah. to make sure that you're aiming high, um, you know, and that helps as well. We've got some great um, modern developments going up, certainly around the areas that we all work in here, um, that might be a good place to start. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth touching on as well, we've got the Renters Reform Bill being discussed in Parliament too. So that's gonna be a huge change to our industry if that um, is successful or going through in the way that we feel it might happen. Um, and that would abolish our Section 21 notice, which, um, for those sort of non-agents is, is our basic notice that we can serve with no reason. Um, now, there's lots of reasons why people are concerned about that to go. And I think for me, we've already been there back in the 80s when we didn't have uh, assured shorthold tenancies. And what happened was is that people left their properties empty rather than put tenants in because they couldn't get them back. So it's definitely worth keeping an eye out. And there are lots of um, different ways that you can put your opinions across to government. If you go through the Property Mark website, there's often links on there so you can put your feelings and those will get back to the working groups. So if you feel passionately about something, you really need to, to let us know who, you know, so we can help. I think that's a good um, good tip, and I think that'd be something that we'll uh, probably include in the link as well in in the uh, podcast for people to find that information. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you're a landlord or looking to invest, your your thoughts should be heard on that. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a great bit of feedback on that. I suppose my other question um, to you really is, do you think a rent cap will be implemented here in the UK in the near future? What's your sort of feedback on that? It's difficult to know really. We have a running joke within the Isla community that everything that starts in Scotland ends up in England. It's just, we're just always a couple of years behind. So based on the trend, I want to say yes. I'm optimistic that that isn't the case because as we know, things fluctuate so much depending on market. And again, the more restrictions we're putting in place for these landlords, the less people are going to invest and that 5% will become 2%, you know, and, and that is a concern I think for certainly us as letting agents that we don't want to be in a position where we can't help people. Um, I, I think one of your stats was something like 40% of rents, you know, increase of uh, desire for, to move 41%, is 40, yeah. 41%, which I just, when I saw that stat, I thought, do you know what, that, that, that doesn't actually surprise me, you know, for every house you're getting four applications on at the moment. So I, I think if we start capping the rent, we, we then start going into really dangerous territory alongside everything else that we've kind of covered. It would just make the housing issue even worse in my opinion. It's yeah. going to reduce the stock, which is obviously causing rents to spike as it is, yeah. which is pushing yields up, which is great from an investment point of view. Yeah. But if the properties continue to sell and, and less properties are coming onto the market, it's only going to continue to creep prices up and, yeah. and make it less people move essentially because there's not going to be the right properties coming up. So yeah. personally, I don't think it's a great idea. And once again, people, I'm guessing, can share their views via property market. Yeah, I mean, if you if, if you engage, I don't know how far you guys cover, but you know, if anyone engages with their local exec, so I cover pretty much the patch you guys cover at this point. So you know, any of your um, you know colleagues, members, whatever, you know, they can feed it back through to me, and I can get it to the right place if it's not an already set up survey you know that's what we're here for that's yeah. my job perfect and then the last question i've got for you really yeah. is obviously legislation is always changing as we discussed off air prior yeah and there's a lot of landlords out there that do property rent properties themselves they don't use an agent mm -hmm. which uh, unfortunately it does happen yeah, course, but yeah. there's a lot of legislation changes that i found over the years where they haven't been compliant with certain things and there's a lot of pro property agents that have used agencies but then gone on to their, their own letter only portfolio yeah. and have not complied with all the changes yeah. what's the best advice you can give to these landlords and how can they make sure they are up to date moving forward so i think it depends you've kind of got two folds of letter only as you kind of pointed out so you've got the ones that use agents now, I, I like to think that even the let-only portfolios are fed information from their agents. <clears throat> I think that's another good point for using an agent, even if it is just for a let-only. They will let you know of changes. If you choose not to, you can sit um, webinars and seminars with um, landlord-specific training to make sure that you're getting all the up-to-date legislation. There's tons of different ones out there. So I would definitely recommend sitting those. Um, normally, I know certainly Reading Borough Council do them. They do landlord evenings where you can go and learn about the new changes, you know, electrics. They'll talk through, you know, updates on housing benefits and, and things like that. So those are really great free events that you can go to. So I, I'm optimistic that other um, councils do them as well, but uh, I can't be sure. Um, but certainly Reading does. Um, so I definitely recommend doing that. I think knowing what you need to know is is so important because what us as agents are doing is not trying to make your life more difficult. We're actually trying to stop you getting sued. You know, we're trying to stop you being in a situation where you're worse off from this renting transaction. Um, a big one that let only landlords, I think, make mistakes of less so legislation wise is never checking their properties. So, you know, as agents, when we manage, we, you know, inspect them, check them over and look after them. 
when it comes to letting in hours, sometimes they just ignore them until they come available and then go, whoa, that is not looking great in there. Um, certainly in the Thames Valley, we have a huge lime scale issue. So if you leave a shower screen unscaled for 12 months, you're replacing that, you know, it's not, not being fixed. Um, so things like that, I think are really important. And the big one that a lot of um, let-only landlords don't realise is they need to register with the ICO for um, GDPR. So you need to register to, to be able to keep your tenants' data. Um, and that is something that I think most fall fail on. So I would say those are my kind of three tips, I guess. Brilliant. And I think uh, based on the ICO, but I actually done a blog on that recently as oh. well, because once again, the reason I've done that is because there's so many people mm. out there that aren't aware of that. Yeah. And I think agencies in general need to maybe see, maybe emphasize a bit more of the importance of doing mm. so, because there are big fines involved for, for not complying. Yeah. Uh, and penalties and, and same as the other legislation like for example gas if someone was to die because you didn't and you didn't have a gas safety it's not just a penalty it's potentially manslaughter so you need to look at the, the issues that can arise for, for not complying so it's really really important to make sure they're up to date on this check your local train like you said there's one in Reading so that's great news to, to any landlord that's listening that's got a property in Berkshire yeah. um, and I'm sure there'll be others around so um, any questions obviously feel free to get in touch with us but we're now at the most important bit or my personal favourite part okay. of the podcast where Mike's going to go through some quick fire questions for you so uh, no pressure your personal favourite is your hand <laughs> yeah. over the reins hands over the reins <laughs> takes all the responsibility away no time to relax so <laughs> What we do at this point is you take your professional hat off and you put your personal hat back on and speak from the heart of, okay. of, of what is your opinion on it. So no uh, no responsibility goes to Arla, Property Mark or your employer <laughs> for the answers to these questions. But Megan, what happens next in the property market? It's funny, when anyone asks me this in the office, I normally go, right, Mystic Meg, get the crystal ball out, give it a polish, see where I'm at. Um, I actually flip back and forth between what I think is going to happen over the next 12 months. Um, what we talked about off air was that all of us were surprised by the boom that we had after COVID. I think my gut feeling is is that 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 has we have to have some sort of not necessarily a full recession, but we have to have some sort of repercussion for everybody being off on furlough for a year. Um, furlough comes to end, I think, end of September. September. Yeah, and I think from there we'll start seeing some changes. In my opinion, um, I'll be honest. I thought we'd have seen the slow up already, but I think with the stamp duty tailing off towards the end of September, maybe October, we'll start seeing it. So my view is, I can't see the prices maintaining this um, high at this point. But for everyone that you say that to, they say the complete opposite. So I really don't know. But what do you my think view about is, rentals at the same on the same subject. I think rents will go up, um, mainly because there was a huge chunk of investment landlords that did sell their portfolios. Um, a lot of accidental landlords, as we call them, um, you know, uh, for those who don't know, but people that didn't actually want to be a landlord, but maybe couldn't sell their property, you know, a few years back and just let it as like a short term um, solution. We certainly saw a huge uptake of them being sold. So. I do think that there will continue to be less properties available again with all the legislation that they've now got to pay for it's harder and harder to be a landlord and you, you know and, and the term landlord were treated in so many different ways you know some landlords just you know maybe got a little bit of an inheritance from their nan and then you've got others that are like multi-millionaires with there's that's very two different you know kettle of fish there so I I think rentals will go up because there's going to be less stock available, but I think that the sale, overall sales prices will come down. I hope that with that, then the investors will start to come back out again as prices um, trickle down. 
that's the cycle, isn't it? Yeah. The minute if prices get too high, and, and the investors will cash in, and then when they start to drop again, you see them re-enter the market. You see them first in a very small flow, and then yeah. a massive flood, and then the whole thing starts over again two minutes later, and you're and you're wondering what the problem was. Yeah. So um, yeah. it's it's a, it's a world that goes round and round. Yes. Um, next question on the quick fire. Yeah. If you were to invest in the perfect deal tomorrow, in the perfect property investment, what would it look like? So I'm controversially, as a letting agent, I actually sold my portfolio. So I, I when they start bringing the renters reform bill, and I went, oh, okay, that's not for me. Um, with time, I think that that, that confidence will return. I think if I had a million pounds, I absolutely would invest in some freehold property. Um, I love Reading. I think Reading's got loads to offer. It doesn't necessarily do the most for your your yield. Um, from my colleagues from Arla up north, they seem to get a lot better return. So I think for me, I'd probably invest in some terraces maybe up north. Equally, I've got a lovely colleague, Sophie, who's down in Cornwall, and the holiday market down there is pretty booming. So I think if I had, you know, a million quid to go and buy a nice little house in Wales or in St Ives then that would probably be my probably my go-to because I think then I could holiday there but also Airbnb it I think probably is what I would do. Airbnb is an interesting one I yeah. saw a, a stat that there were 11,000 empty second homes that have been turned into Airbnbs in the last six months of this yeah. year um, which says how people are now looking at property and how it should be used yeah. and making decisions on that and, and specifically for the for the the staycation market mm. i know three people in st ives right now yeah. it's only a tiny town yeah and it just blows my mind how many visitors they have yeah, it's, so it's beautiful it's very beautiful it can only um, yeah. it can only maintain that sort of level of popularity they do great bakery food so they do it's a dangerous place to be if you want to be healthy and a cracking so crab shack oh um last question one thing as a as a profession property professional what's the best single piece of property advice you would offer someone so i'm going to go approach this as a as a, a lettings side of things as a landlord i think it's really important to think about property transactions as a business transaction but don't forget that there are people involved i think people go and buy cheap they do cheap refurbs they put cheap furniture in and then they wonder why they're not attracting good quality tenants. What you put into a property is what you get out of a property. If you wouldn't live in that property, why would anyone else want to? So I think whilst it is a business transaction, first and foremost, would you live there? If you won't live there, why should somebody pay to live there? And I think keeping that approach means that you won't go and buy you know, a bit of a, you know, dog end flat, you know, you'll buy something that actually you're proud of and you'll present with pride and that will run through with your tenants. So I do believe that good property attracts good tenants. Yeah, I think it's, it might sound controversial to, to landlords watching and listening, but a rental property as a landlord, you're at first, you're an accommodation provider and a service provider because as you say, quite rightly say, there's other people that are, in, that are impacted on, on your decisions. And it's secondly that that property is an investment. Yeah. And that's something that if you keep that in your head, I can steadfast guarantee, I'll put my name to it, your tenants will stay longer, they'll be happier, and, and, you know, and you'll build better relationships with them. So I couldn't agree more yeah. with that. I've certainly found it previously, and you'll find that the first thing you get asked nowadays is who, who manages the property. Mm. And uh, a lot of landlords I've spoken to recently have actually wanted to meet their tenants, even if we're managing it, and just doing like a video call or whatnot. 
Um, I've had two in the past two weeks that have done that, so it's becoming more common, and I yeah. totally agree with that, definitely. I think as well, considering like outside of what you think is a good tenant, you know, in the last year we've seen that actually yes earning lots of money and being you know a, a city banker is great actually they're the ones who got put on furlough whereas our workers in tesco and our nurses and our doctors they're the ones that kept our country alive in the last year and i think taking that switch in your brain of thinking i want professional tenants that are going up to london and doing this is great but actually you know look at the key workers look at the people that are less likely god forbid that we ever hit another lockdown that are going to be paying your bills um and look at the fact they might have a pet, for example, I think that's quite a controversial one, pets, but personally I've seen tenants staying longer, like you said, with a pet because it's their family home. You know, they've got their family pet and it makes more of a, you know, a long-term commitment as opposed to something short-term. I'm glad you touched on pets because that's something we didn't cover in this podcast, mm. but obviously it's a very grey area still, I find, and there's lots of landlords as well, um, or, or some agents sort of do disclose on their, their bullet, um, on their points on the marketing, no pets allowed. But realistically, they have to give valid reason to not accept a pet. I understand a flat with no garden, balcony or outdoor space. It's probably not fair on the pet. But can you give a bit more information on, on the pet? Um, yeah, so there was, a big, there was actually a big change this year to the government standard tenancy agreement, which caused a lot of confusion across pretty much everyone. You know, does that mean that we, man, that we have to accept pets? So no, no one has to accept pets. It's still a choice. You know, this isn't a sort of a discrimination sort of problem. But what the government tenancy was designed to do is it was almost like an opt out rather than an opt in. Now that doesn't follow suit at the moment with um, that the property market tenancy agreement, for example, you know, you have to opt in for pets on that front. Um, I think pets will become not mandatory, but you know, they have, they will become with a, a greater weight soon. You know, it's a constant discussion that we're having. Um, I run a TikTok for sort of lettings questions and I get so many questions about pets and it's really apparent that I, I, I believe that pets really need to start being allowed in more properties. You've pointed out about flats, um, you know, we've also got the freeholder to consider in that as well and that's a, a massive factor. So flats you can pretty much kick out of the equation. But in a house, I, I struggle to understand a reason why with consideration, you know, or a higher rent that you wouldn't be able to you know, consider a pet, um, but still, there's no legal kickback on that. If, if you don't want to, you know, you don't have to. But but consider why you don't want to. You know, meet the pet. You know, get a reference for it. Get a reference from a vet or a behaviourist. You know, to know that they're not, you know, chewing up carpets or whatever. Because I've got a three-year-old son and I've got a dog. Well, I've got three dogs, and I'm telling you, my child makes more mess than my dogs. <laughs> I think it's something to, to definitely take on board with that. And I think even with lockdown, we've found more people have brought pets mm. for comfort of, of COVID and yeah. obviously not being lonely and stuff like that. So um, we are seeing, especially across Berkshire, there's always been a growing rate of it, but there's been a massive percentage of people that, that have mm. introduced a, a pet to their homes. And I think the only thing you're gonna do is reduce the number of tenants that potentially come forward on that, yeah. that could be that ideal tenant you're looking for. Yeah. I've been in some properties that are absolutely spotless with pets. Yeah. Um, so it is a case by case and yeah. get a reference. And I think that's, uh, I think that's fair in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I do. Well, we'll leave it on the statement that my six-year-old Labrador has never drawn on my wall, but my three-year-old son has. There you has. go. Well, look, we are absolutely... We're hitting facts today now. The children make more mess than dogs. Absolutely. So, Megan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much no, for joining for us on our podcast. Hope you've enjoyed your time. Yeah, it's been lovely. And hope it's been useful for everyone watching and listening. Contact details, as Tristan said, for Property Mark and their information will be included on the post below. Um, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.
Pleasure. So Tristan, another podcast in the can. Great to meet Megan. What do you take away from that most? I think there's a, a few key things to take out from that personally. I think what you put in is what you get out. Um, obviously, you providing something to your tenant and don't give something that you wouldn't live in yourself. I think that's important. I've always gone by that mentality myself and I've always explained that to landlord. Although it's a business transaction, you want the tra a business transaction to work for you. Uh, and I think it's important to do that because you will find the good, the, well, the best tenants uh, on that basis personally. Um, and uh, going into detail with, with pets as well, obviously it's a big grey area at the moment. A lot of people don't know whether it is allowed, isn't allowed and what the process of that. And she's confirmed it's not legislation to, uh, you don't have to accept a, a pet, but you have to give valid reason. And based upon our conversations, our children probably create more mess than what pets do. So why wouldn't it be considered? Yeah, it's absolutely true in my case, uh, my case alone. I think it's 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 really interesting from to, to hear it from her point of view that a, a rental transaction is not black and white like a sale. It is something that will be an ongoing relationship with people. So it's something that should be really, really considered that you're providing accommodation, you're providing a service, you're not just providing a square block of bricks that you're giving to someone for them to do with what they will. So there's definitely some give and take in it. Um, and it's interesting to hear what's going on in the next 12 months. There's obviously the renters reform bill going through. There's still a lot of talk that um, and there's still a lot of mileage so if there are opinions on that if there is things that people want to happen as she said her door's still open for opinions to take those surveys to take those questions so I'll uh, can try and guide that in the right direction for, for everyone not just what the government thinks is the right thing to do but unless they hear from people they won't be able to work it in people's favour so it's important that if you do have an opinion make sure you um, click on the link and, and share your information or, or thoughts and hopefully we can try work it in everyone's favour I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify, I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.